On Sunday mornings, we are in the midst of a series of lessons on the essential doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do we believe what we believe? Why do we do what we do? Why do we come here this morning to gather together and to listen to the preaching and the teaching of the word of God? Why do we do that? And as we will find out, there are some fundamental truths that have been given to us to guide us as God's children in this age of grace. And so our lesson this morning, we've already kind of begun the what the Bible teaches about the church of God. What is it? How do you become a member? And we have found that everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ is a member of the church. Doesn't matter what name's on the building, doesn't matter what group you attend or what country you're in. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a member of the church. That means you are a member of the body of Christ, and you are my brother and sister in the Lord. We've also established from our earlier lessons that it's God's will that believers, those that are members of the church, that they gather together like we're doing this morning in a local assembly. And this is something that is being abandoned by so many Christians today that that's not important. I can pray at home. I can read my Bible at home. And there's been so much abuse among organized religion and all the excuses that people use not to gather together in the name of Jesus. But to do that is to ignore God's clear instruction in his word, the Bible which has proven itself to be God's word, which has proven itself to be trustworthy. And so when the Bible tells us that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, we need to understand the importance of that. Why? It's God's will. He said it. And there's a purpose, of course. God's plans always have a purpose. It's for our spiritual edification, that we might grow in our faith, that we might learn more of his will. And that we might encourage others, that we might encourage our brothers and sisters, other members of the body, to also know that will and to surrender to it. Because we've read that the church is the ground and the pillar of truth. God deposited his truth, which is eternal. It's what the world needs to hear, whether whether they know it or not, whether they like it or not. They need to know that there's only one message that can reconcile man back to his creator. And that's, that's not what we came up with. That's what God has revealed to be his will. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved than that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so because we are the caretakers of truth. We gather together that we might learn what that truth is. And we've also in our series have understood the importance that everything be done decently and in order. When we looked at a few of the passages when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he had to correct some things that were going wrong there that they were doing wrong. They weren't conducting themselves in a way that honored the head of the body, which is Jesus Christ. And so he said, everything needs to be done decently and in order. And so this is some things that we need to pay attention to in God's word. To ensure that all things are done decently and in order, God has called certain individuals to places of authority in the local assembly in order to see that that takes place. 
And so we want to look at what God says about these spiritual gifts that are given for the edification of the church and to see that everything is done decently and in order. Now, we want to make certain things clear. Every believer, every Christian is called on to be an example of righteousness. Wherever you are, whatever your responsibilities in life, mothers, you are that example to your children. You are to teach your children the fear of the Lord. Every situation and every circumstance at home, at work, in wherever you are in society, every single Christian is called to be a light. You are called to be an example of righteousness. But what we're going to find out is that those that are called in places of leadership in the local assembly, that is a requirement. Now, often it's been raised, can, can so-and-so come if they are doing this or that? Can they come to church? And if, you know, if they're not living right, can they come to church? And my answer is always this. Anybody is welcome to sit and listen to the Word of God. Anybody doesn't matter what their life is, because only the Word of God can change that life. And so why wouldn't we want them to hear that Word that can change them? And so we're not talking about the the congregation in, in general, but we're talking about those that are in places of leadership, like the pastor, the elders, teachers. They must have a testimony of godliness. And as we'll find out, there are no perfect pastors, there are no perfect elders or deacons or teachers, but there must be that constant surrendering of their will to the will of God. And when they fall short of that, there must be a repentance and a returning, or they no longer are eligible for that position. And so we want to see the scriptural foundation for those things. That's not just our policy. That's what the word of God has revealed to be true. Let's go to Acts chapter 13. And we'll read the first three verses here to understand that these, these gifts that were last, last week in our study we read there in Ephesians where Jesus himself, the head of the church, has given certain gifts to certain individuals for the edification of the church that they might be equipped to go out and do the work of the ministry. As I mentioned last week, many people have the concept it's the pastor's job to go out and get everybody saved and bring people to church and and. Well, that's what we pay the pastor for. But my responsibility is to equip you for you to go out and do the work of the ministry. For you, you are in positions and opportunities that that I don't have. And so you are to be the one who presents where you are the gospel. First, by being an example of the power of the gospel to not only save you, but to transform your life. And then when there's opportunity and God tells you there's a heart that's prepared, then you plant that seed of the gospel, the invitation of the gospel. That is your responsibility. Mine is to give you the tools and understanding. Why do we need to share this gospel with others? What, why, what's so great about it? And so my responsibility is to give you the equipment, the tools to do that. And in Acts 13... In verses 1 to 3, we see that those who have the gift of being a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist, that those things are a calling. They are not a career to be sought, but rather God calls. Jesus, the head, gives the gift, and those gifts are to be received and accepted, 
and men, other men are to acknowledge those gifts. And this is what we see happening in Acts 13.1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, in other words, they were in constant prayer about what needed to be done and how it needed to be done. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So who did the calling to this missionary work? It was the Holy Spirit. It was the triune God. Then having fasted and prayed, the men, and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So here we see how these gifts are exercised. It is the Holy Spirit that calls to these places of authority, of ministry. But we also see the responsibility of other godly men to acknowledge those gifts and to support those gifts. And so these men sent them away once they understood God had called Saul and Barnabas to this ministry. It's not a profession to be chosen. It is a calling to be heeded. And I would encourage our young people to seek the Lord, to be sensitive, to listen, to see maybe he's calling you. I know as a young person, I've, I've been preaching since I was about 18 years old. And the calling to do that was very real, especially as I, I saw many of the older ministers that, that had been such an influence in my life and taught me the word of God and and as I saw them getting older, I thought, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to our church? What's going to happen to the work and to, to the preaching of the gospel? And that's when the Holy Spirit began to deal with me and said, well, how about you? And I had to be sensitive to listen, and then I had to be willing. So it is a calling that must be heeded. We all know the story of Moses that was called to such an enormous work, and I do not fault Moses for for not wanting to step into that role, especially as we see what unfolded later, he hesitated. And God had to finally convince him, I will make you a sufficient minister. It's not on you. It's not on your intelligence. It's not on your ability. I will provide everything you need. You just have to accept the calling. And so I encourage our young people, I can't call you. I can acknowledge, I can see when God's dealing in your life, and that's my responsibility to to begin to see God working in your life toward that end. But only God can call you, and only God can equip you. And this is what's so important for young people to understand as well. It's the Holy Spirit that equips. Through his word, he'll give you what you need if he's called you. Second Timothy 2. But this is God's way. This is the pattern for the church. How, how does a church get formed, a local assembly? How how's those places of authority get filled? And there are so many. You look at different denominations within Christendom, and everybody has their own idea. Some it's it's by popular vote, democratic. Some is there's a headquarter off somewhere that just appoints people. What's the Bible tell us is the proper pattern for the local assembly? Second Timothy two one and two. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. Notice the adjective there. Faithful men who will be able to teach others also. As I've said many times, the local assembly 
Many people have different ideas what a church should be. Well, we need to have entertainment. We need to have certain kind of music. We need to have certain kind of programs. That, that's what church is all about. The church is a school. The church should be where people have an opportunity to learn what faith is, to learn what the will of God is. And only the Bible can do that for you. Nothing else can. A lot of churches are in politics. Let's change our society through politics. I don't know whether you've noticed or not, but politics really hasn't improved our world, has it? No, it, it just seems to get worse. Our hope is not in politics or social reform. or The only thing that can change a life is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible. So that should be our emphasis. That's what we offer people. That's the only thing we have to offer. But there's also the importance of those that already have these gifts as a pastor, it's my responsibility to see that there are, for the next generation, to teach others, to have the, the tools and the equipment needed to stand up and fill in the gap when it's their turn. And so this is God's pattern, that those who have a revelation of the Word of God, the Bible, they're to teach others so they can teach the next generation. So that's what we're doing here this morning. One of the things, it's God's pattern for godly men that have a testimony of knowing the will of God and a life that's changed by the word of God for them to appoint leaders, not for the congregation in general to vote. Now, in our country, that's, that's a bad thing. Everything's supposed to be done democratically. I'm glad I live in a country where it's a democratic republic. I believe it's the best government that sinful man can possibly come up with. But that's not how the church is run, according to the Word of God. Jesus is the head. He's the final authority. Not any man, but Jesus and the revealed will of God is the final authority for everything that takes place in the church and through the church. But God has given, Jesus has given gifts to the church. And those that have received those gifts then have the responsibility to appoint others, as Paul did. Paul appointed Timothy. He appointed Titus. Go take care of these assemblies. It was his responsibility. And then Paul exhorts Timothy, you do the same thing. You appoint faithful men, those who have a testimony of godliness, to teach others. So this is the pattern we see in Scripture. Now, there are several different titles of these leaderships in, in, in the local assembly that we have in the Scripture. The word elder is one of those. It doesn't necessarily mean old. But it does mean mature. And so I have known some young Christians that have shown great maturity in their walk with the Lord. And they are quite eligible to be an elder, even though they're not older. And so it just has to do with maturity. And in this case, it has to do maturity in their walk with the Lord. They're a counselor. We also read about deacons in the Word of God. A deacon simply means a servant. A deacon, their responsibility is to tend to the physical and the material needs of the congregation. They serve. Not necessarily. Now, they can be teachers, but it's not necessary that a deacon actually be able to teach the Word of God. A pastor. A pastor has to do with being a shepherd. So that means feeding. And what is the spiritual food for the Christian? The Word of God. To guide Shepherd guides, 
First, by example, a good shepherd doesn't uh, herd, push the sheep. He leads, he guides. This is the way. The sheep have the opportunity to follow. A shepherd also protects. One of the biggest responsibilities of a pastor is not to allow false doctrine in the congregation. And so this is the the responsibility of a pastor. And we'll look at these specific responsibilities as given in the Word of God as we have time. We won't get very far this morning, but I'll at least present these different titles. A bishop. A bishop is an administrator, a supervisor, an inspector. And then there are teachers who simply teach what the Bible says. Then there are evangelists, those that proclaim the good news. There are those that have the gift of presenting the gospel in such a way that it is easy for others to understand and to have the opportunity to respond. And and that is a gift. I, I am not an evangelist. I am a pastor and a teacher. But I thank God for evangelists who are able to present the gospel and to draw others to Jesus Christ. There's no set rules. Each denomination has their own set rules of how many elders and pastors there have to be. Some churches have several pastors. Some have several elders and some have seven deacons. And that's just the way they set things up. The Bible doesn't tell us how many of those are necessary in every local assembly. But there are times when the pastor has to be all of those things just because there aren't others to take those haven't been called to that place over the years this assembly has been overly blessed with a number of elders and teachers that have been able to give out the word of god now our numbers have shrunk over the years but we've been blessed and i believe that this this assembly has that firm foundation because of the biblical pattern that was followed over the years. Those in places of leadership, pastor, elder, teacher, whatever it might be, they have certain responsibilities. Let's, let's look at those. First of all, let's go to 1 Peter 5 and verses 1 to 4. And we're not going to get very far at all, but we'll get started here. What's important for us to understand is that these positions of authority that Jesus has established. They are not positions of superiority. The pastor is not better than those of the congregation. Not necessarily even more spiritual. God doesn't have two standards. Well, preachers have this standard and the believers have this standard. The congregation has this standard, the so-called layman. He only has one standard for all of his children, and it is a life of godliness. But for leaders, it is required that they have that testimony. It's not required for a member of the congregation to be able to attend the church, to attend services, if their testimony is not everything it ought to be. For those in authority, it is. And so a lot of people think, oh, it'd be great to be a pastor and have all that power and authority. They do not understand. And sadly, a lot of pastors don't understand. The responsibility far outweighs whatever advantages you may perceive. And this is what we see in First Peter chapter 5 and verses 1 through 4. The elders who are among you I exhort, I, Peter writes, who am a, a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, 
serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So do you see the enormous responsibility, accountability of those in those places of leadership, like like a pastor? Sadly, over the years, we know there have been pastors and evangelists that have used their position for personal gain, turn on the so-called Christian network, and you can watch for five or ten minutes and and probably begin your stomach to begin to turn at how carnal men use the gospel for personal gain. We know that happens. But anyone who truly understands their position as a pastor or in any place of leadership, it's not for your personal gain or advantage. We are to do it eagerly. And why? Because it's the will of the Lord. And again, that applies to all Christians. We should eagerly want to do what the will of God is for our life. But the responsibility is far greater. And one day we'll have to give an account to the good shepherd, the great shepherd, who gave his life for the sheep. I didn't die for you. I have a responsibility to care for your spiritual well-being. But Jesus gave his life for you. And I have to give an account for how I take care of you spiritually. And so... I would like to be able to share that with every pastor and every elder and every understand how great your responsibility is. And then to know you can't fulfill your responsibility and your own strength and wisdom if you don't daily depend on the Lord. This is why the prayer of the saints pray for me as your pastor. I need your prayers for the good of the assembly. But this church belongs to Jesus. This assembly, this congregation belongs to Jesus. Feed the flock. Peter was commanded by the Lord, and then he commands other pastors, feed the flock, which, of course, our spiritual food is the Word of God. Over and above everything else, we are to teach the Word of God. If I fail to do that, I failed you, I failed the Lord. I've often prayed, because I have the same flesh you do, and quite honestly, sometimes God's sheep are just annoying, they're stubborn. And that's when I have to fall on my knees and say, Lord, give me a heart, the heart of a pastor, the heart of the very Lord Jesus Christ, the mind of Christ. Not a dictator, he says. This is not about those in place of leadership just imposing their every whim on the congregation. Again, we know it happens. We've seen it over the years. Jesus is the head, and we are to be sensitive to what he wants And I have found over the years when I have often acted according to the will of God, according to the word of God, not everybody loves that. Not everybody's happy when you do what God wants you to do. But you have to do it anyway. Acts 20. The apostle Paul exhorted the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. We'll have to close with this today. We'll look at the specific requirements of pastors and elders and deacons. Lord willing, in our next lesson, Acts 20 and verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Notice again the pattern. Would it take heed to ourselves, those in places of leadership? Make sure your testimony is what it ought to be. You be an example of the believer. 
in every area of your life, not just in the pulpit, but out of the pulpit, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. You're responsible to be concerned and to lead and to guide, to protect, to feed the congregation. And it's the Holy Spirit that's made you overseers. It's not, if it's just a profession that you choose, you're in trouble. But the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, given you the responsibility. You're accountable to God to shepherd the church of God, protect, feed, guide that he purchased with his own blood. So when you think of a church and when, again, there are many reasons why people choose what local assembly they go to. But these, this is the criteria you should use. Throw out all the criteria that, that is your desire or opinion. Throw out the criteria of the church as a whole, what they think a church ought to be. And then go to that fundamental, essential doctrine. What does the Bible teach about the church? How it is to be governed? And then you yourself will be built up and equipped for the work of the ministry when you leave the congregation, when you leave the services. We'll stop there this morning. Lord willing, next week we'll consider the specific responsibilities that the Apostle Paul teaches are those of those in leadership. Let's stand as we have a song in closing.